Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Good morning, City Beautiful fam. I'm so excited to be here with you guys. My name is Xavier Martinez, or as many of you that I've gotten to meet have now come to know me, just plain old Shav. And I'm so excited to be with you guys uh, this morning, um, to be sharing and to have the opportunity to take this time to be with you. I hope that you're well. I hope that you are excited to continue in your newest series about how, what to do when everything is terrible. Um, as Ryan and I have continued to grow and our budding friendship and bromance. I know that uh, when this uh, topic came up, that he may have thought of me. I know he's thinking of you. I know he's praying for you, but he may also have been thinking of the many of times I've called him or I've texted him or I've just told him, I feel like everything is terrible. And I also know that within that, perhaps it's a shared experience. Maybe it's something that we all resonate with. I I know in watching last week's message, it felt like he was reading my mail. Uh, It felt like he was uh, in tune with what's going on in my world, in my life. But uh, I also know that what stood out the most to me is how we continue to cling on to hope. How we realize that although everything does feel terrible, that although some things feel and are going not the way that we've planned or dreamed, and just continuously walking through this thing that we call life and the different uh, things that come up, I knew that at the end of his message, I felt like I was clinging to the hope of glory, recognizing that Jesus is providing a way and an outlet, and I'm excited to continue in week two of this discussion where we're talking about lamenting. I also, you know, joked and said that when I was starting to prepare for this message, the first thing that came to my mind is, you know, I I might be just the right guy for a message on lamenting um, because I'm good for a good internet cry. You know, I'm good for some time just uh, letting myself be in all of the feelings and feel the things. So if we go there, wherever you're at, whether you're watching from home or on your couch, just keep on watching let those tears go, and and I pray that together we can get through this. This week, I'm going to be talking to you from the subject of lamenting and what it looks like when everything is going or feels like everything is going wrong. What could we do? And sometimes our feeling is to to cry, to feel. And so we're going to be talking a lot about that. If I had a message title, I'd go with long enough and you'll see why. Because as we read through the scripture, what I know Ryan has spoke to is that uh, the the book of Psalms ends up becoming the hymn book uh, of the Jewish people. It feels like when we look at the scripture, what we see is people who are feeling deeply, you know, lamenting. A quick Google search will tell you that lamenting is defined as a passionate expression of grief and sorrow or sorrow. And I know that a lot of the book of Psalms, a lot of the writings of David, and even a lot of our Old Testament prophets, when they begin to speak about their moments in history, when they begin to speak about the realities of their life, the thing that is provoked in them is this lamenting. It's that action uh, of these feelings, the weight that they're feeling actually manifesting and coming out. And so I wanted to read to you um, in Psalm chapter 13, I'm going to read to you uh, this Psalm where we see David doing and uh, engaging this thing, this thing that we call lamenting. And it says this, and there comes my message title from David as well. It says in Psalm 13, verses 1 uh, through 6, it says, Long 
enough. God, you have ignored me long enough. I've looked at the back of your head long enough. Long enough, I've carried this ton of trouble, lived with a stomach full of pain. Long enough, my arrogant enemies have looked down their noses at me. Take a good look at me, God. My God, I want to look life in the eye so that enemy, my enemy cannot get the best of me or laugh as I fall on my face. I'm singing at the top of my lungs. I'm so full of answered prayers. I'm sorry, I'm celebrating your rescue. I skipped the whole verse, five and six. I'm throwing myself headlong into your arms. I'm celebrating your rescue. I'm singing at the top of my lungs and I'm full of answered prayers. You know, as the scripture, as David is writing, I, I, the thing that I love is that he's so honest. And I, I want you to ask yourself, and I may do this a lot throughout our time together this morning, that I will ask you to go inward and to ask yourself the same question that it sounds like David is yelling out. And that's, have you ever felt like God has just been too long, like long enough I've felt far from you? It says, I've looked at your back of your head long enough. There's these moments in our lives as as we engage our world, as we engage our life, that there's these moments where these feelings rise up in us that we can recognize that there's this passionate expression of grief and sorrow. And sometimes that grief and sorrow is provoked by the feeling of, God, does this matter to you? Why is it that I'm so gripped, I'm so thrown, I'm hurting the way that I am? And it feels as if you are indifferent. It says that I've looked at your head, the back of your head, long enough. You know, and I thought to myself how, in my own life, you know, there was this moment when I first uh, became a Christian, when I first started going to church, I, I grew up what we would call irreligious. I, I didn't have a faith tradition. I didn't have a faith background. I was 19 years old nearly before the first time I really ever encountered, engaged, or had an idea of what church and Jesus was or who he was. And I could remember that when I, uh, I knew that my life was being changed, I knew that my heart had been gripped, I knew that I had turned from my old lifestyle, I began to wonder, well, what does this new life have for me? And I had a mentor and a pastor who, who, who asked me, do you have a Bible? And I said, I don't. Uh, I know that there's probably a Bible in our house because I've seen it, uh, but I know that it's probably the dustiest book in the house because we grew up not going to church. We grew up not practicing a faith. We, had, we grew up with an understanding uh, of, you know, uh, people go to church. We just don't. My mom and dad were really uh, big on making sure we respect respected the church and we respected people's uh, worship, but we never went. We never went on Christmas. We never went on Easter. I'd go every now and then to Sunday mass with my grandmother just to get the donuts that they gave after service or after mass. And uh, when I realized that it wasn't every Sunday, I stopped going. But I could remember not having a tradition. So when they told me or asked me, do you have a Bible? I said, well, I need a new one. I want one for myself. And so I got this brand new Bible, never having read it, never understanding why there was two different sets of numbers, why it looked like poetry, just getting a brand new Bible. And the pastor, my pastor tells me, 
here. Read the, uh, the Gospels. And I said, cool, I'm going to read the Gospels. What page is that on? And as I was asking and exploring and trying to figure it out, as he looked at me and said, son, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's in the New Testament. Start there and read about Jesus. And as I read about Jesus, I was captivated by this message that you and we know as the Sermon on the Mount. And that was the only thing that I could grip on. So I stayed in Matthew 5 for as long as I could. But, you know, as, uh, as a lot of our uh, faith muscles, as those things get worked out, I started to say, I want some more. I want to read what's in the Old Testament. I want to, I, I you know, go a little further back. So I'd go into the Old Testament and I'd close and say, no, not so much. Because everything felt, you know, different. It felt, you know, harder. It felt like people were struggling. But I fell upon what I would have expected to have been named the book of David because his name was all throughout it and I fell on the Psalms and when I realized that this man David was you know reading and saying prayers the way that I was praying at that time the the most reverent thing I knew was, was I grew up where you say yes ma'am no ma'am yes sir no sir so I would pray and say sir are you there you know because it was the most it was the title the most reverence I could muster but I'm seeing David talk the way that I would talk so I would say man this guy David is me and I am David because I know what it feels like to feel like long enough, God. Long enough have I had this pain in my stomach. Long enough has it felt like my arrogant enemies have looked down their nose at me. Long enough. You know, and I, I see that when we have this moment, what I recognize even early on, 14 years ago for me, is that I realized that God is not afraid of my very human feelings. That God was not put off. That if he was allowing David, who I later found out was referenced or was given credit for being a man after God's own heart, I said, man, then maybe I'm like a man after his heart because I got plenty of things to complain or feel deep sorrow about. And so I want to use this working definition. While yes, we hear the lament is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. I hope that this may help you because here's how I pursue or how I've stepped into lamenting or this idea. And I said to lament is to, to or to be totally honest, fully human, and deeply faithful. Again, to lament is to be totally honest, fully human, and deeply faithful. The scripture, the one I referenced in Matthew chapter 4, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn. Why? For they shall be comforted. Without this action, without these feelings, without our grief, without our mourning, without our deep sorrow and pain, we don't unlock the fullness of the promise to be comforted. How could we ever experience true comfort if we not allow ourselves to be given to these feelings? How could we ever unlock the beauty of knowing that he is there in the midst that he comes to, to take up space and to be close. How could we ever experience the beauty that comes from his comfort if we not allow ourselves to have the permission to feel very deep sorrow? You know, we often make joy and mourning polar opposites. I don't know if you've done this. I've done it for so long where I think that if I'm mourning, I'm so far away from joy because they feel like opposite affections. They feel as if, or opposite feelings. It feels as if 
They're constantly at war as if somehow we are incapable of holding two things in reality that if I'm mourning that I must be the furthest that I'll ever be from joy. And if I'm in joy, that must mean that there's an absence of mourning. But the truth is, is it is not in the absence of mourning that joy becomes truest, but it's actually in the midst of it. I want you to have permission, fam. I want you to feel deeply and know that when you feel so deeply that you are not violating your Christian, uh, the Christian mission, that you're not violating your identity in Christ, but in fact that you have positioned yourself perfectly to be as those who Jesus speaks of who have mourned and because of their mourning, they receive the gift of comfort. You know, I, and I ask myself that if these are the things, like we often, like I said, we look at them as polar opposite feelings, but what I have learned, the older I've gotten, the more that I've mourned, the more that I've lamented, is that oftentimes it's through mourning that joy becomes the most beautiful, that it becomes the most full, that it becomes uh, something that it wasn't before. You know, and that's why it's, it's important for us to know that these two things can actually be together simultaneously. Yes, mourning and grief and sorrow and lament can be present, but it is the hope and the promise of the coming joy that sustains us and anchors us into that truth. It's to know that Jesus and that our God, this one that we love and the one that loves us, that he would be there in the midst, that the same writer David would go on and say things like, even if I made my bed in hell, there you would be. There was nothing that we could do to escape the reality of whatever we go through in our life, there he is. So if these are the things that we may know, some of you may be saying amen. Some of you may be going, yes, I, I, I believe you. But what do I do with that when everything feels terrible? You know, and I wonder the question that I would start with is, well, who taught us that bypassing our feelings of disappointment and frustration and hurt, who taught us these things? You know, it, has it been that there's this, uh, for many of us, I can speak to just for me growing up, you know, in this brown skin as a Latino, that oftentimes in our community, in my lived experience, what gets passed down to us as a narrative or as a gender narrative or, or a gender role, as a idea of what it is to be a man is that there's this idea of machismo, there's this idea of, hey, you're more of a man when you bypass those hard, shadowy feelings. That you're more uh, of a man when you don't allow yourself, don't show any weakness. Boys, don't cry. I'm wearing a sweater so you can't see it, but I believe so deeply that that's a lie that we have to break, that boys do cry, and that that's allowed, and we have to create spaces where all of us are given permission to feel the full spectrum of who, or of the life that God has called and given to us, but also to be and to feel fully. And that's why I said to be completely and deeply honest, but to also be fully human. We have to break these ideas of these roles or these stories, these narratives that have been given to us, that this is what it looks like to feel. And it's how sometimes, if we're being honest with ourselves, unfortunately, the church has played its own part in also giving us stories to say that somehow, that if we feel these hard feelings, it diminishes the work of Christ in our life. That somehow engaging or even acknowledging that everything is not okay makes us somehow less than 
than, makes us a little bit uh, less faithful. And I think that this is something that a city beautiful and, and myself as a pastor of tribe and just as a human on this earth, we have to stop as believers of perpetuating this idea that somehow just because we can acknowledge and engage fully that everything is not okay, that that makes us less faithful. That somehow the reality of what we've encountered and who we have given our lives to, somehow that shrinks or becomes small simply because we can be honest and say, things aren't going the way that I imagined. And I wonder if we've allowed this to diminish our feelings and what ends up happening the longer you do that, the more that you've suppressed and pushed down. What I think that we, I think in the name of or in the face of feeling strong and faithful, what we've ended up doing is running ourselves towards burnout, running ourselves out towards isolation and loneliness. And even if we're truly honest with ourselves, some of that suppression leads to bitterness against our God because then we feel like David did. He said, long enough have I looked at the back of your head. And I wonder if there's an invitation for us to encounter this God who is yes, outward and yes, everywhere and omnipresent, but also deeply within, also deeply in our hearts and rooted in this space. And I just hope that through this talk and through our time together this morning, that you would find yourself giving over to the one who stands close and in the midst, the one who the scriptures say, draw near, that draws near to the brokenhearted, that takes up space. And even when we try to push away and we try to, you know, mask it or suppress it or put ourselves in a place where it makes us feel more faithful. So we say the right things. We throw up our hands at the right parts of the song. We say amen when something resonates. We do all of the stuff but we leave, whether it's the building or whether it's our watch party or whether it's our community group, we leave still feeling this sense of deep sorrow and pain in our bellies. And here's one of the things that I want to say to free you up. Jesus does not need us to make him look good. If you've been under this pressure of a lie that says, if I grieve openly, if I mourn deeply, if I give myself over to these feelings, doesn't it make Jesus look bad that I'm not winning. Fam, that's not what this is about. It's allowing the work of Jesus to continue to give and to, or the work of Jesus to continue to mold and to shape and to transform you into this space that allows you to say and feel deeply. Why? Because again, the scripture says those are the ones who get the comfort, the ones who feel, the ones who allow themselves to go there. And I think we have to ask ourselves, is there any chance that we are bypassing because we do not trust that God even really cares? I think it's fair for you to ask yourself the question, to say, man, am I not feeling the fullness of this feeling? Not because I'm afraid of what may come of it, but because I'm not really sure God cares. You know, and to quote somebody I know you've loved so dearly and that I've come to love so dearly, to quote my man, your man, Ryan Adams, it says, or he said this once, and I loved it enough to put it in my message. It says, we can trust God with all our emotions. Trusting him doesn't mean we pretend like everything is okay. It means that we can be honest. And I love that because I think that we have this idea 
that if we are honest with our feelings, that God's not going to care. You know, I think we have this idea that if I feel all of this, then it must mean that I don't trust him enough to get me through it. But that's not true. And I think that a lot of us limit the spectrum in which we feel things because we concern ourselves with whether or not our God even cares. But what Ryan is saying, what I am telling you, is that because he cares so deeply... You can be honest with your feelings. You can be honest with these feelings of disappointment or frustration, of anger, of hurt, of sorrow, of, uh, of grief. You know, one of the things that I always uh, was taught early on in my life or in my Christian walk was that to not allow myself to bypass or suppress things that are happening in me. Because the scripture and Peter reminds us to, hey, cast your cares on him for he cares about you that we can give ourselves to this God who's uh, who's not only willing to engage it with us but to sit and stand in the midst to get us through these feelings you know, many of the lamentations that we see through Scripture, whether through the Psalms or the different books that you'll be seeing or that you'll be uh, studying over the coming weeks and I know will be addressed or looked at, is what we see is that the writers are not just expressing personal grief. That as far and as hard as it is for us to imagine, David is not just saying, what about me? That David is not just saying, hey, I feel this way. But that oftentimes through the Scripture, what we see is that, in fact, these writers of our text are telling us that is not just their personal grief or sorrow, but what they are observing is the brokenness of the world that they live in and lamenting what they see. You know, maybe you're familiar as well with when Jesus looks upon uh, the people of Israel and he weeps. And why does he weep? He weeps because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And what he sees is he looks out into the brokenness of our world. He looks out into the to the people and the separateness from God and it leads him to weep. It leads him to feeling this deep sorrow and grief because it was as if they were a, she uh, they were a sheep without a shepherd and we know that he comes to become that shepherd that brings his flock home. And what we see here is that the church, oftentimes it feels like, especially now, as if the church has become largely known for what it stands against, but not for what it stands for or what it weeps over. And I just wonder if in this moment, in this year that has been 2020, if it wasn't for us to have this momentary connection or this momentary light bulb moment, but in fact that God was teaching us something sustainable, which is that we have to do the deep work of figuring out what it is that causes us to grieve and to feel sorrow, but we also must become so other-minded and become so, you know, driven by the world that we live in that we could say, what is it that is out here that breaks my heart? What is it that I'm seeing? What is it that I'm sensing? And it feels like 2020, if we assess and slow down, 2020 has felt like it's made us look at things longer than we are comfortable with. It has made us stay into certain postures or mindsets longer than we are comfortable with. That we have had to engage conversations and engage different things perhaps longer than we are comfortable with. And before we are quick to dismiss those things, what if 
the invitation is not to dismiss them, but to sit in the midst of it, to engage God fully right there in the midst of it so that he can teach us that that he wants, that he could have this moment of, uh, of you know, just transforming our hearts, this moment of, of transition where our hearts that often feel calloused and hard, and he gives us this, this fleshy heart to feel these things so that when we look out into our world, that we would be okay with lamenting. Again, the church has grown largely known for what it stands against or at times what it stands for. But I wonder if the invitation to us now is what is it that the church laments over? What is it that we look out into the world and see and that it breaks our heart? You know, there is no such thing, if you're wondering, I'm I'm here to burst a small bubble. There is no such thing as a lament-free life. As hard as we try, there is no way for us to avoid lamenting in our lives. There is no such thing as a lament-free life. To love is to lament. To let your heart be broken by something. If you don't lament over the broken things in your world, then your heart begins to shut down. What I'm convinced of is that what we have in this invitation to love, you know, Jesus tells it, by this the world will know that you are my disciples. By what? By your love from one another. And it says, you know, as we give ourselves to this life of love, as we give ourselves to positioning and posturing ourselves for love, I'm just here to tell you that there is no such thing as love unless you have room to also lament. Because even in our choice to love, it runs the risk of having our heart broken. You know, I, I, I know that we like to paint this idea of love as just being all of the best feelings. But when I hear from, you know, my parents or I hear from people who have been married or people who have stayed in community for any amount of years or stayed in relationship at any amount of years, they always tell you it's costly, that the cost is high and that yes, you run the risk of having your heart broken, but church, isn't it better to risk having our hearts broken and yet experiencing the fullness of what it is to be in love. Isn't it better to give ourselves completely and wholly to this thing, this, this, this movement in our hearts, this, this churning in our bellies that says to freely give this love. Yes, you could be, you know, you could be disappointed. Yes, you can, you know, have your heart broken. But then when you lament that broken thing, it's from that broken place place that God begins to rebuild and bring back beauty. You know, it's when your hearts, when you don't allow that grief, when you don't allow that lament to come out, what you've allowed you, uh, what you've begun the process of is that your heart begins to shut down. You start to buy into these ideas that we don't need one another, that we don't need that person, that we don't need this community, that you don't want to risk it. It's not worth the cost, but that's not the, that's not the, that's not the life that we should be after. That's not the life that we shouldn't go through navigating it as people who don't want to feel the things because it'll hurt too much, but we have to be the kind of people who will feel the thing regardless of how hard it hurts because on the other side, there's this gift of comfort and love. It's better to choose to continue to stay in 
love. To love is to risk being heartbroken. The rewards of love come with the risk of having something to lament over. You know, and I've said this and I'm referencing this because I think it's imperative for us to know that the church can be defined and recognized. It's imperative that the church be defined and recognized for what we lament over, not what kind of arguments we win. That it is so important for us in this moment. What is 2020 asking of us? 2020 is asking so many questions, right? It feels like 2020 is bombarding us with so many questions. We have gone so inward to figure out what is it that's happening in me and in us. But one of the things that we cannot ignore is that the church is being asked, what do you lament over? What breaks your heart? You know, I I could remember songs that I've sung. I can remember prayers that I've prayed that say, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. To go into the space of saying, God, I want, I want to be given your eyes and your heart so that when I look out into the world, I'm moved by what moves you. And I just wonder if we've moved away from being moved by what moves him because we don't want to be moved or troubled. And in this space, this, this invitation is it says, man, well, you know what 2020 I see when I look out into our world is, I mean, what is the world asking us to lament? What is it that we see that moves us towards brokenheartedness? What is it in our world that makes us feel like this doesn't have to be this way? It shouldn't be this way. You know, and I wonder, you know, I think of, Throughout the Old Testament, when we would see these old saints and when we would see them moved by what they saw in the world, that there would literally be people out in the square wearing sackcloth and ashes, weeping and mourning publicly, lamenting publicly because they knew and they recognized it shouldn't be this way. City Beautiful, what is it that you see in our world today? Do you say it shouldn't be this way? That it does not have to be this way. What has gripped your heart when you see our world and its brokenness? And I wonder if it's anything like what I see. And I'm sure that it is. And I know that when you look out into our world and you see the chaos and the brokenness that comes from systems and ideas that do not value other image bearers of God, how it grips your heart. There's no version and no other way for me to tell you that when I look out into our world and recognize how people of color and how people and certain people groups have been marginalized and oppressed and I can't help but want to grab my sackcloth and ashes and go out into the public square and say, why is it this way? And I wonder if somehow we've thought that our ideas and our systems and our our programs, we're going to answer that question. But what God has been inviting us into is to feel deeply the same thing that he feels and sees and wondering, would we be moved towards compassion? Would we be moved towards empathy? Would we be moved towards kindness? Or would we continue to suppress and to bypass those feelings because we feel helpless?
that we feel like we don't know what to do. You know, I remember always feeling like, man, lamenting and mourning is just messy. It feels like so, it costs so much. You know, uh, David says in Psalm 22, uh, in the message translation specifically, he says that my heart is like a blob of melted wax. City Beautiful, sometimes I look into our communities, I look into our city, I look into our world, and it's like my heart is like a blob of melted wax. I don't know what if, I don't know what to do. I feel helpless, so I give it the only thing I know how to muster, and I give it my tears. I give that feeling life and language. I give it an outlet. I give it a voice. I give it something that sometimes just comes out like an ugly squeal, that sometimes just comes out like a painful, you know, punch to the gut. Sometimes it just comes out like tears that don't want to stop. And I wonder instead of trying to put away those things and if instead of looking at the condition of our world and going, well, this is just a part of the plan, I guess. Or man, well, I don't know what it is we're supposed to do. That perhaps what we should be looking for is less words and more tears. That perhaps that when we look at racial injustice, when we look at, you know, discrimination, when we look at, you know, marginalizing and dehumanizing people, perhaps less statistics and more gut punches, perhaps less arguments being won, and more hearts and lives being given over to feeling that that violates the very ones that are beloved by God. And this is why <laughs> publicly lamenting hurts. My cry for the internet. To feel deeply does not make you less faithful. To feel hopeless and helpless in the face of what we are facing does not make you less than. But what I pray that it does is that it moves us to action, that it would galvanize us and motivate us and allow lamenting to stop just being what we do in the recesses of our minds and homes, but that it would be what our communities would grab a hold of so that we could be like uh, the city on the hill, that we could be the space that we say, it is not important. My energy is not given to an, an argument. It's to making a difference. But I'm convinced that before we can make a difference, we have to be moved. <laughs> Sorry. We have to be moved and gripped in the gut to give ourselves over. Not because we're going to stay here, but because we know it doesn't have to be this way. So as he begins to transform our ashes into beauty as he begins to take our mourning into joy and our grief to dancing. The people that bear the image of God would know that we are for them. And fam, I'm already there. 
But I want us to end and wrap in this way. I know that these messages aren't to just simply be, as Ryan has told you, prescriptive. Here, hopefully you felt something, or here maybe you'll feel something, but that we have to put it into practice. So what I'm trying to tell you, and what we're going to step into is a time where we do that. And in this practice is, is what I feel has always worked for me, is that we're going to take three steps. We're going to take a step to go inward, then we'll take a step to go outward, and then we take a step to go upward. And all that means is, it's just silly, but it's a way for us to first recognize what's in here. So if you would, if you'd find a space in your home, on your couch, or even right where you're at, and just close your eyes for a moment as I lead you through this practice to go inward, to then go outward, and then to take these feelings that may come up upward. First, inward. If you close your eyes with me, I want you to ask yourself the question, what currently in my life is causing deep pain or sorrow? Is there something that I have not processed for fear of the feelings that it could provoke? Take a moment, maybe ask yourself this, maybe meditate on that. And just as it may come up, just as it hits, I want you to hold in that tension and feel and give space for that feeling to have, its room, have room to do what it must. For those of us who are ready to go from inward to outward, I'm asking you the same question that I feel I'm asked every day. What do I see in my world, my community, my family, my friends that break my heart? Take a moment and go inward to go outward. And now let's go upward. God, we trust that you not only hear, see, and acknowledge our pain, but that you care deeply. We trust that justice, mercy, peace, and love is what you desire to share with your sons and daughters. We cling on to the hope that we receive from trusting in your report and good news. We cling to hope because you have promised to be close and to be near. We give ourselves over to the truth of your affection, your care, to your faithfulness to perform all that you have promised. Amen and amen. God bless you, City Beautiful. So glad that you guys have me. Have a beautiful and wonderful Sunday. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.